Welcome to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Podcast. I'm Alex Avellino, and today we have Dr. Stone, who's a clinical assistant professor in small animal clinical science, as well as the service chief of primary care and dentistry. Dr. Stone, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. Before we get started on the details of primary care and dentistry and what you do on a daily basis, can you talk to us about the degrees you hold, where you got them, and the experience that our pre-vet students need to hear about how you got those degrees? Sure. So um, in Gainesville, it's not very popular for me to say, but I I got my bachelor's degree at Florida State University. And so I went there and I got a a bachelor's in biology and a minor in chemistry. And then I came back to go to vet school. And when I got accepted to vet school, I also got accepted to the PhD program at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was able to do it in six years. And then I got out and did a little bit of a postdoc over in the College of Dentistry and then started doing relief work in the area and did relief work for primary care and dentistry, and the rest is history. What was your PhD focus in? Uh, my PhD focus was in immunology, essentially. Okay. And uh, what experiences did you do in high school or undergrad that you think helped accept you into vet school? I did. At the time, it was called AP courses, advanced placement courses. I did a lot of those, and my favorite ones were the sciences, you know, chemistry, biology. And I did a couple of summer internships that they offered at the university. I also worked at the swine unit. Hmm. Um, I decided that I had some experiences working as a vet tech uh, in high school and somewhat through my undergraduate, and I decided I needed some large animal. So I decided, why not? Let's go work at the swine unit. So strong grades and a good variety of veterinary experiences. Yep. And the other thing I did that I think really prepared me for vet school is I waited tables. Talk about why that's a great experience for vet school. Uh, If you can be in the service industry and you can talk to people and you can help people get what they need in in the moment – then you can certainly do veterinary medicine, at least from that perspective. Yeah, the customer service aspect of working in the food service industry is huge. Students sometimes ask me, should they choose a vet med job or food service or something that deals with people? And I'm like, if you can do both, yes, that would be ideal. Okay, so now let's talk about uh, what, if you could give a simple definition of what primary care is, what would we say? Because we've had cardiologists on and surgeons. Um, What is primary care? Primary care is essentially the way to say that we teach veterinarians how to be general practice veterinarians. We teach veterinarians how to be the doctor in the corner. That's what we do. Because 90% of our graduates are going to go out and do general practice veterinary medicine. Mm -hmm. We're the veterinarian that you see first. Okay. And then we may refer you to a specialist. We may handle whatever it is, or we may refer you to a specialist. So typical things a primary care doctor in our facilities would see are? Primary care, the most important thing is wellness care. Okay. The most important thing I do all day is keep animals healthy. Mm -hmm. So that includes things like preventing heartworm disease. That includes things like doing senior blood panels, Mm -hmm. um, making sure that, you know, kidneys are healthy, liver is healthy, all those kind of things, and vaccinations. Okay. Keeping animals protected from infectious diseases. That's probably the most important thing I do. I also see animals for a multitude of other things. We see animals for uh, illnesses. Uh, we see animals for injuries. We see animals for reproductive concerns. We see animals for, uh, you know, 
all kinds of things, including or their oral health as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when the animals come in, how often are you seeing them every six months, once a year, if it's for like a wellness type visit? So when they're puppies and kittens, obviously you see them a little bit more. And then once they're adults and young adults, you probably can get away with seeing them about once a year. And in fact, in Florida, you have to see them once a year because the Practice Act by law says, in order for me to prescribe medications for them, I have to see them once a okay. year. Okay. However, if an animal is, say, um, it's an animal that has other health issues or it's an animal that's maybe a Great Dane or something like that where their, their lifespan's a little bit shorter, I may want to start seeing them even at a young age every six months. Okay. But most animals, it's going to be after they're about the age of five that I'm going to want to see them a little more frequently than once a year. So at these wellness visits, I have to assume that communication is very important between the veterinarian and the client. And I know that you take an active role in our students' communication training. Can you talk about communication on the veterinary medicine side? Why is communication important? What What is communication that meant? Sure. Uh, so I have not met a single animal that got themselves to my practice. <laughs> not one. Um, and so everybody comes attached to a human. Mm-hmm. And that human is going to be the way into knowing what's going on with that animal, at least in terms of what do they do all day, you know, who do they interact with, where do they go, what do they eat, Mm -hmm. all of those things, I have to rely on that human to tell me those things. Sure. And if they leave things out, or if they forget things, or if I don't present an effective um, landing pad for all that information, then I'm not going to know about it, and I'm not going to be able to do my job. So probably the two best things I have at my disposal in terms of diagnostics and and physical exam are my communication skills with that owner mm-hmm. and, and my actual physical exam. Right. So and what you're talking about with the communication, is that the history that the students and the veterinarians sure. are taking? Um, it's a history taking. It's the knowing what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. It's also the knowing how to talk to a client when their animal's in crisis mm. to be able to figure out how best to help them help their animal. Right, right. So students, like Dr. Stone said, you know, 90% of our DBM students at UF are going to go out and to be general practitioners, essentially. And so the being able to communicate with clients and get that history is important. Let's talk about the physical exam. Yes. Why is a physical exam so important? Physical exam is so important because that's where you gain all of the information about where you want to target your diagnostics. Mm-hmm. Um, if an animal's hurting, where is it hurting? You know, if an animal's not feeling well, is it in their abdomen? Is it in their chest? They, can, can they breathe? All of those things I'm going to get an idea about from my physical exam. And so to me, that's, that's sort of the most important thing I do all day other than talking with the client. Right. Well, uh, favorite animal to do a physical exam on? Oh. And maybe in particular breed. Because what, let's talk about animals. What animals do you see on a daily basis? On a daily basis, I see dogs and cats. Right, okay. On a daily basis. I occasionally see some other critters, but most of the time I see dogs and cats. Okay. Uh, I think my favorite animal to do a physical exam on is an an, is a, a fit animal. Oh, talk about what fit would mean. I would say an animal that's not obese. Uh-huh. An animal that is a great body condition score, which basically means that I can feel their ribs without pushing mm-hmm. and they have a waist. Okay. Because then I can actually feel some of what's going on in that body. I can actually hear some of what's going on in that chest. Mm-hmm. All right. So folks at home, keep those pets fit so you can get a great physical exam from the veterinarian. That's right. Let's dive into dentistry. Yay, teeth. Yay, teeth. So what, you know, so I, I think for 
folks who, not our audience, because they know exactly what they're doing, but a lot of folks who aren't familiar with vet med would be potentially surprised that we need veterinarian dentists. So talk about the history a little bit. Why do we need it? What are some issues that we see? So again, like every animal comes in with a person, I haven't met a single animal that doesn't have a mouth. <laughs> right, right. Not one. Yeah. So at least in terms of my patients. So everybody comes in with a mouth. And plus the mouth is sort of like most, at least with dogs and cats, it's like their hands. Mm -hmm. How often does an animal pick up something with their face? Right. Pretty much all the time. Yeah. And so if their mouth is in pain, if their mouth is diseased, mm -hmm. then that's going to be a problem for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so historically, we've done a really bad job at educating veterinarians about it. We've sort of said, okay, you person that's a pre-veterinary student, why don't you come on in and clean teeth in my practice? And we've made that sort of our focus is cleaning the teeth. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really not what I do. And that's really not what many veterinarians are now being trained to do. What we're being trained to do is do a really good oral exam and take x-rays. And if we can then tell what's going on with that animal's mouth, is there a tooth abscess? Is there a tooth fracture? Is there, um, you know, terrible periodontal disease? It, what, what's going on in there that may be making this animal either unhealthy due to chronic bacterial infection or painful due yeah. to an inflammatory process or a, a fracture, an injury? So what are some modifications? Because if you keep up with veterinary uh, controversial issues, potentially, you might know about uh, elective procedures, for example, ear cropping, tail docking, declawing of cats, um, and maybe you've heard about some teeth issues as well. What are some sure. of the controversial teeth issues we might see? So, you know, animals, and this is what I like to say, animals have the right to a non-painful, so a comfortable and functional mouth. So that they, they have the right to that. They do not have the right to a pretty mouth. Mm -hmm. So we all get braces and things like that, not often because it's that we can't function. It's because we want to look good, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, I which, have braces for sure. <laughs> which is fair. Um, but dogs and cats don't actually need the teeth they have. So things like fake teeth mm -hmm. being put in, things like crowns being put on just to make an animal look tough, mm -hmm. those are all things that are not really all that necessary. Now, crowns can be necessary, which is essentially putting a covering on a tooth. Could be metal, could be porcelain, could be lots of things, just like in us. Um, but it, it's, and it might be necessary if you're a canine officer or if you're a search and rescue dog or any of those kind of things. But in general, um, the normal dog does not need the teeth they have. We do not expect them to go out and catch and kill their food. We right. put it in a bowl right. and we put it in front of them. Sure, sure. Now let's talk about what are your favorite dental procedures to do? I kind of like, I mean, I like doing some of the surgical procedures where you take, you extract some teeth and things like that. I'm not, not wild about extracting giant teeth. Um, I, I will say that it's, it's a, it's something that takes a lot of arm strength. Okay. Um, I would say that I like doing, um, I like closing up my surgeries because it takes a little bit of, uh art to sort of close up the surgeries. You've got to make sure that you've, it's not just like a, an incision you make in the skin. It's a, it's something you got to sew around other teeth. You've mm. got to make sure that, you know, the other teeth have a covering of gingiva and all those kinds of things. And so it's a little more of a challenge, and, and I kind of appreciate that. Mm -hmm. uh, when I think dogs and cats' mouths, a lot of time I'm thinking that they smell. Yes, they what, should not. They should not. So what are your – what? Do you, how do you speak to that piece? So most – about the statistics show about 80% of animals by age two have periodontal disease. Oh, no. Which is why their mouths smell. Um, you know, that, that – 
pu- that puppy food smell is fine. Mm-hmm. That's what they eat. Mm-hmm. But that terrible smell of, you know, rotten stuff is not normal. So that would be on the owner's part to just have better toothbrushing habits, to have the right food and treats. What is it? Yes. So it's a lot of things, unfortunately. It's not a one-dimensional thing. So an owner can do the most amazing home care that you can imagine. They can be brushing daily. They can give the right treats that don't break their teeth. They can do all of those things and still have a dog that has terrible periodontal disease. Mm. It's somewhat genetic. Okay. So... Again, you give them the best chance by doing really good home care and by making sure that all the treats that you have can be either dented by your fingernail or bent by your hands, which means they're not going to break that dog's teeth Mm -hmm. or that cat's teeth. Mm -hmm. And then once you've done all that, then you just have to go with what you're dealt, like everything else. Sure. And you mentioned genetics. Do we have certain breeds of dogs that are just chronically getting this kind of tooth issue or this kind of gum issue and maybe cats as well? Sure. So this is what I tell my students. Big dogs and cats break their teeth and little dogs have periodontal disease. Oh, shoot. Okay. So pretty much that's how that rolls. Okay. Big dogs tend to not have as much periodontal disease because if you think about it, all dogs have 42 teeth. 42 teeth. I didn't even so know that. So you're okay. putting all of those teeth in a very tiny mouth. Yeah. Now figure that out. Right. You know, so bigger dogs have more room for their teeth. Okay. They tend to do a little bit better um, with periodontal disease, but they tend to go chew on things like coconuts and rocks. <laughs> right. And, sure. You know, the things they're not supposed to yeah. and they break their teeth. Yeah. Cats. Cats have some interesting issues, but they can have periodontal disease, disease. That's for sure. But a lot of times they're doing things like running like mad things through the house and jumping off of stuff. And not all of them are graceful. No, okay. So they're just going to break a couple teeth at the yeah. time. And in general, if a cat breaks a few teeth, are they fine? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. They're so gonna, they wouldn't they're have They're not going to miss them either. I mean, if they break the tooth, we need to see that and make sure it's not a pulp exposure. Make sure it's not into the nerve and the blood vessel and all that kind of stuff. But if it's not then, yeah, they're going to be fine. If it is, we take the tooth out, and they're still going to be fine. What kind of personality do you think suits a primary care dentistry veterinarian? So I think a a primary care person that does some dentistry, like, so we tend to do a little extra dentistry other than your average veterinarian. But if you wanted to be a veterinarian that does really quality dental care, I think you need to be somebody that likes people. You need to be somebody that likes to um, educate because you're going to have to educate your clients about lots and lots of things. And you want to be somebody that likes a bit of variety because you're going to see lots of different types of things, not just dentistry. You're going to see, you know, animals that are sick from eating, getting in the garbage. You're going to see animals that are unfortunately hit by a car. You're going to see, you know, you're going to see a whole range of things from birth to death, you know, from the time they're tiny babies to the time they're geriatrics. You're going to see the whole gamut. And I like that. Can you tell us what kind of training our DVM students get, whether it's in clinical rotations or in the classroom when it comes to primary care and dentistry? Sure. So we start in the uh, first year in the clinical skills lab. They end up learning to do an actual oral exam. Um, They end up learning to do a little bit of dental charting. So putting, you know, that exam on paper as appropriate to um, the profession. And then in the second year, we talk about um, lots more things about vaccinations, vaccination schedules for herds of animals. We talk about some veterinary ethics when it comes to dentistry. We talk about um, some ways to keep animals' health uh, oral health, 
you know, in check, uh, especially if you're dealing, say, with like a, a cattery or a kennel or a shelter type situation. Mm-hmm. Um, in the third year, we have a, a didactic course, which it offers several different laboratories, um, which involves teaching things like the whole gamut of general practice dentistry, including extractions. Um, students get the chance to do some extractions. And then we have two um, clerkship offerings. So you may get it in your junior year or your senior year of doing um, a, a defined clerkship, a two-week clerkship where you do some extracting on live animals and some extracting on cadavers. Now, if you could give advice, any advice to our pre-vet students about preparing for veterinary school, thinking about their future career, what would you want them to know? I would say, again, work in the service industry if you at all possibly can. And, and think about how you're talking to people. Focus on what you're, how you're communicating and what you can, what you can get them to tell you. There are some, some pretty basic online stuff you can go and, and look up about good communication in veterinary medicine. And you'll see some basic things like open-ended questions, um, listening, empathy, things like that. Mm-hmm. Start figuring out what those are. That'll give you a leg up in terms of your interview as well as, um, Absolutely. you know, as well as getting, you know, do to be a good veterinarian. The other thing I would do is start looking at some of the things like the Partnership for Healthy Pets. It's got a really nice way of explaining how to keep your animal healthy. Mm-hmm. And again, once you know healthy, then you can figure out what's not healthy. Right. Yeah, exactly how our curriculum is set up. First year, you're learning about what's normal and healthy. And second year is, okay, when it doesn't look like that, how do we fix it? Exactly. Well, students, I think your homework today is do what Dr. Stone said, um, you know, potentially look into an opportunity in the service industry, uh, look into what makes a pet healthy. And then I'd also like you to be looking into your opinion on some of the controversial issues, specifically with elective procedures. So if you do get asked in an interview, not only will you be more prepared to have a conversation in that interview room because of the training we just talked about, but you'll be able to articulate your opinion on those issues. One other resource would be the AVDC, the American Veterinary Dental College. Mm -hmm. They have a really nice page on some of those controversial issues. Perfect, and then you'll be able to say, this is legitimate because I've looked it up on an actual organization. So always do that. Formulate your opinion based on the facts and science, please. Absolutely. Well, I'm Alex Avellino and we'll talk to you soon.